Hi, this is Tamsin Granger. And this is Dan Abuhoff. With Tamsin and Dan, read the paper on Monday, November 14th, 2022. We're doing this on Monday. We're busy. Because, We're uh, the busiest people in the world. We're unbelievably busy. Why are you even saying that? It's true. It's true. Um, but no one wants to know. I was oh. traveling. Yeah, that's right. I went away on another girls' weekend yes. with Sadie. Without your husband, right. Mother, daughter... Annual trip to Mohonk Mountain House. Yes. Right. And we started out in the pouring rain on Route 287. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a, and it wasn't a really hard rain, mm-hmm. but for some reason there was a lot of it. <laughs> and it, the, the car seemed to kick up a lot of mist. Maybe it was foggy. It was foggy, rainy. Visibility, even though it was, you know, midday, yeah. was terrible. Really? So I let Sadie drive. Good move. <laughs> and, Sadie, um, Sadie's an excellent driver. But, you know, Mohawk is a good place to be because once you get there and, you know, they're serving tea and cookies and you can, you know, cuddle up, hunker down or whatever. And actually it was an odd storm because it was part of Hurricane... It was the remnants of Hurricane Nicole, mm-hmm. and um, so it was quite warm. Yeah. So well, that was odd. Time. So it was yeah. like seventy degrees up in uh, upstate New York. But inclement. Yeah. So, so you sit on the porch and watch this Come raging on, storm. The truth is, you went swimming. Well, I did that too, but I did. Um, they have an indoor swimming facility. Yes, which Mohawk is beautiful. has beautiful, a fabulous pool, yeah. and so. Uh, I took a swim also because apparently I was late in getting dinner reservations. Well, as a result, my dinner reservations were late. We were not scheduled to eat till eight p.m. Yeah. Here's the problem with Mohawk on that: they do. Uh, it becomes tough to get a dinner reservation at a time you might find ideal, unless you're one of the first people to apply for it, and that would be okay. unless you plan ahead. Who plans ahead? No, no, no. But it's, that would be okay. The only problem is that Mohawk's the place that you have to eat your meals there, or put another way, they charge you for them, whether you eat them there or not. So in a sense, you're given no choice. And as I say, you and think I that's a really negative way to look at it, Daniel. I, as I have said to them before, I said you can make it tough to get a reservation if you give me a choice. But if you are telling me I must eat there, then you must have availability. But you're so cranky. This is why you're not invited on this weekend. That's right. That's why. So anyway, we had we had a very good weekend. Well, you should also the rain the rain diminished. Yes. Okay. And so Saturday was really kind of beautiful, not cold. Really yeah. at all. So we did a lot of hiking. Mm-hmm. I went on several walks. Yeah, well, that's you. You know, yeah. learned a lot about uh, lichen mm. and glaciers. Lots of like, huh? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and and took a stretch class. Mm. You know. You know what you didn't do? Took another swim. You didn't do the plunge. You know, I didn't even ask you whether they had the plunge this no, year. No, they were not having the plunge. Okay, this is no, clear. We did this... not ask them. Okay, so plunges last year, what you did was the plunge, and the plunge was people voluntarily, believe it or not, going into the Mohonk Lake in the middle of November just to say they could do it. No, and we did. We talked about this. I understand. Because we talk, we're no one remembers. But my point is that you went in there with Sadie in the middle of November, freezing cold lake, and the deal was you had to stay five minutes, right? And you did. Right. And you did. And you survived. And when I asked you, are you going to do it again this year? You said, not on your life. No way. No, Once was enough. Yeah, it wasn't particularly life-changing. We, we, but we do, you know, like 
we try things, but it doesn't mean we are going to, you don't see me going out every weekend to throw a tomahawk either. You know, it's just a thing I did. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Well, the plunge is, is, is more harrowing than the idea of throwing an axe. But I, uh, I don't know about that because we established that people are paying thousands of dollars to have the plunge in their backyard anytime they want. That's true. So, um, well, anyway, but I, I, I highly just, suspect either yeah. it wasn't well received. <laughs> <laughs> or people had a heart attack. Or, or there was some liability yeah. associated with it because, uh, you know, I did not see it offered again this year. Yeah. Um, so it was fun to be a Mohawk. It was different because well, I mean, once again, thing, it was, you know, there's always, there's often a theme for the weekend and it was puzzle weekend. You often go on a weekend that's considered puzzle weekend. Like it was cross. Yeah, but we don't do it. We don't I participate. But you were surrounded. But we see other people. Who are puzzle maniacs. Yeah. They yeah. look very smart. And, and you ran into some people who said they'd been going years and years because they wanted to be there on puzzle weekend. And yeah. And they right. say, you know, it, a lot of the puzzles even repeat themselves. You're kidding. And uh, at a lot of the events, I mean, there are all kinds of crazy events that yeah. go with it. She says, but they say they continue to go because they see some of the same people. It's become a social event for them. Oh, they see the same, the, the same group they, Yeah, they, back. They, they, they've well, made friends through it. And they enjoy interacting with people doing these things. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, and they also, well, I met them on one of the hikes. So they're doing the hikes, they're doing the puzzles, mm -hmm. um, and for them it's a win-win. But I, I will say that uh, the food was okay, but service is a problem. And I think that's a problem. Everywhere. F everywhere for most restaurants. Uh, it's, um, you know, not, not Mohonk alone. Yeah, well, there is. So, it's and, always been a little bit of an issue there, but now it's getting worse. So there you go. I mean, that's too bad. What can I say? Yeah, I did. I don't mean service was a problem. Like I wasn't getting, you know, adequate service. Yeah. You know, but it, it was just, you know, it, it it took a long time for things to happen. You know, for no particular reason. Yeah. They're no. They're not. Um, you know, making up the rooms every day, which yeah. I think is fine. Yeah. Um, well, but. If, if you're not going to get seated till 8 o'clock and it takes a half hour to get your dinner, it's a little bit of an issue. So oh, it took more than a half an hour oh. to get dinner. There's <laughs> no, that, that's no not doubt good. about that. That's no, it's uh, not good. Drinks were not refilled, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, okay. And you, you, your water glass wasn't automatically getting refilled. And when have you ever been out for coffee and there's not somebody swinging by and, you know, topping off your yeah. cup every few minutes? That was not happening. So, and I I really think it's, I think it's because... Uh, they're having difficulty maintaining enough staff, yeah. enough experienced staff mm -hmm. to uh, well, handle all I know that you're not there for that. I know you're there for the outdoors and the hiking and even the swimming. But, you know, uh, and, and I know that, well, that what you just described won't keep you from going to Mohawk. But no, it doesn't. And it didn't keep me from having a good time. Yeah. But it makes it continues to make me wonder about um, the survival yeah. of... Resorts like this, of restaurants, etc. How you know service oriented because these are yeah. these are problems, as you said, that are everywhere, not just Mohawk. Right. And, and you wonder um, no, because their service that's a big thing for them, and they have a policy, a no tipping policy. They put all uh, the money for tipping in the charge for everything, and they rely on the notion you're going to have impeccable service. So, given that they emphasize that, it's it's, it's they're going to lose business. They are. I think that's the way it is. So. We'll see. We'll see. But it was, uh, you know, as usual, the 
landscape was quite uh, beautiful and invigorating, etc. So, um, but you, I'm sure, stayed home and just sat around watching football. No, I don't. Uh, no, I, I watch a little football on Sunday. I don't. I don't watch college football too much. So I, I had work to do. Uh, one thing I did was row. As you know, I row on a regular basis. I have a rowing machine, a Concept 2. Not that I'm bragging. Well, let's just say that uh, Mark let you use his rowing machine. That might be another way to describe it. But I've been rowing on a Concept 2 for years and years and years. So the Times, not to be uh, outdone, wrote an article just the other day about how to use a rowing machine. Because they say these devices, all of a sudden, are increasing in popularity. Well, I don't know if that's really Isn't true. Isn't that article written like every other year? It is written every year. And, and, and to make it even more suspect, they, they prove their point by saying that the number of people rowing indoors increased by nearly 20% over the period from 2014 to 2021. <laughs> so that's 20% over seven or eight years, even if it's an accurate number, which it probably isn't. So uh, there's really no evidence that it's increasing. And, and it includes the pandemic years. Yeah. I mean, it's when in, people were trying all kinds right. of crazy things. Right. And they, they, you know, the other piece of evidence they have to show that more rowing is happening is that Peloton is going to have a new rowing machine. Peloton, who's been losing subscribers left and right. But fine. Um, listen, I'm a big rowing guy. I, I believe in rowing. And it turns out that there are medical people, medical professionals, people who went to medical school who are huge believers in rowing. And why is that? Well, according to Dr. Aaron Bagish, Professor of Medicine at the University of Lausanne, Lausanne in Switzerland and the Director of Cardiovascular Performance Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. He's got a job in Switzerland and in Massachusetts. Anyway, he said... I didn't understand any of that. Was that... Uh, he's got a job. Was that in English or was that in... He's a professor Swiss of medicine German. in Switzerland and he's the Director of Cardiovascular okay, so, Performance in know, Massachusetts. The New York Times can always come up with excerpts that support whatever their article is But my about. point is, let me give you the quote. He says, Dr. Bagish says, what's unique about it is that it combines the two fundamental stresses that the heart responds to, which are pressure and volume. Really? I don't even know what that means. I have no idea. And I can't imagine that none of the other physical activities in the universe... Well, rowing is often used for endurance training, which increases blood volume. And over time can cause parts of the heart to enlarge so that it can pump more blood. But the movement also involves short bursts of intense effort Similar to strength training, which increases blood pressure and strengthens the heart walls. It's 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 it's, it's exercise gold. It's exercise gold. There's no that is better. So exercise. persuasive. I I don't even know why we all don't row. My point is, I know why we all don't row. Physical condition. It's deadly boring. It's uh, it's a little bit hard. You know, little, you know I will let kids say, well, kids will say this. I, I think I know Granger's probably is. And listen, you know, they will tell you that there's a lot of exercises they'll do, but they really don't like the idea of doing rowing because rowing is hard. I think that's fair. Oh, really? Yeah. Boring. It, it's comes boring. To mind. It's also boring. But, um, but you know. It, so anyway, it, so you looked at their advice. Did it blood, you, was it good advice? Pressure and volume. Oh, then they tell you how to row. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's that's kind of all good. I mean, they break the, the stroke down into different pieces, which is, you know, it's useful. You know, the the drive, the finish, the recovery. It's okay. Uh, one of the nice things that I wrote in college, I don't have to worry about that. And it all comes naturally to me. I forget how easy, how tough it is to learn. But no, it is you, a little tough to learn. Yeah. You are famous yeah. for every time you walk into the gym. Yeah. Uh, snarling. 
about what terrible form the people on the rowing machines have. Well, I, snarling, first of all. And, and first, no and one's I, ever seen I think me, you all also say it within earshot no of one's, those poor people. No one's ever seen me snarl ever. Okay, oh I'm, not, I'm not a snarling oh person. God. It's not my way. And I don't think I say anything within earshot. What I think <laughs> I, private thoughts are private thoughts. Um, you said it me, in that New York whisper. Yeah, so they give me, I don't think their advice is great in terms of strokes per minute. Although I've seen this repeated other places that, you know, you should learn to row with 16 to 20 strokes per minute and a 30 minute piece. I mean, 16 to 20 strokes per minute, you're not even rowing. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. <laughs> and then they say, and you build up the 20 to 28. The difference between 16 to uh, 16 strokes a minute and 28 strokes a minute is the difference between walking and running a four minute mile. I mean, how they see this as the range of development, I don't know. But that's a small point. The point is that the Times has jumped on the bandwagon, pressure and volume. Okay? Those are the words. Those, that's what you get about rowing. Yeah, this is the weird thing about New York Times articles about exercise. Yeah. They, they seem to be written um, to encourage people who don't exercise at all mm-hmm. to suddenly take up... Right. Rowing, they want or to swimming, 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 same idea. You know, and uh, they, they imply that you'll become very accomplished in a very reasonable in a nanosecond. Time. Yeah, and, you know, and it's completely wrong. And I think it, it's either written by people who also don't exercise yeah. and are clueless, mm-hmm. or it's written by people who are so familiar with the swimming or the rowing, they have no clue with what it's like to not be able to well, do it. Well, at I'll all. say this: I, to me, it's clear that the rowing article is written by someone who's never rowed. Uh, and and if they if it was written by someone who rode, what they would point out, uh, the first time you rode hard, and I remember one of the first times I was in a race. Uh, if you want to hear more about my rowing career in college, <laughs> I felt like my heart had come through my lungs. Okay, it's a shock to the system. I mean, Similar to when you met me. Yes, very right? much so. That the same heart and lung feeling. My point being that. Uh, if, if you experienced that, it would come up in the article. And the article is more like, uh, you just, you know, it's like yoga. It's just You've kind never of said a nice thing about anybody's rowing. Never. I keep those thoughts to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, right. Right. Enough about rowing. All right. uh, so let's get... Uh, let's talk turkey. Yeah, let's talk turkey. I don't know why. Um, it seems to me, how could there be anything new to say about turkey? Yeah. But nonetheless... We are big Thanksgiving believers here. Yes. And it is, as Sadie likes to say, our Super Bowl. That's the greatest line. And, um, I like she said to you, Mom, this is our Super Bowl. I don't and, know how uh, old she was when she said it. She might have been. I don't know how old she was. It's a great line. Uh, but uh, so everybody's getting ready for this. And there's the usual spate of articles about how to cook your turkey. Yeah. And uh, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt uh, is uh, espousing the idea of dry brining. Okay, spatchcocking. Watch your language. Right? It's a family show. And uh, slathering oh. the turkey. Spatchcocking and slathering? And mayonnaise, an herby oh, mayonnaise marinade thing um, when you roast it. And so. Spatchcocking uh, and slathering. Yeah. Mm. It, it really sounds like a great experience. So, here, <laughs> let me talk about brining. Yeah. So, brining is the, the idea of trying to keep the turkey from drying out. Right. All right. You put it in salt water. So it's salt water. And the salt breaks down some of the proteins right. that cause muscles to contract yeah. and squeeze out the liquid that's in the flesh. Right. Okay. 
So if you can alter that process, if, and salt does that, it keeps the proteins from doing their work or something. I don't know. It's very technical. But if you can stop that contracting process a little bit, yeah. the moisture will stay in the turkey and the turkey will be juicier. Right. If you do that with the liquid brine, that's fine, but it kind of waters down the flavor of the turkey, they say. It dilutes the flavor of the turkey. Right. So it's not perfect. Right. Uh, so some people do the dry brine, right. so you don't have the dilution effect. And uh, so that's what... Uh, is being suggested here. So I've I've been dry brining for a few years. Please just hold it. So this fellow whose name I cannot pronounce upside down, but uh, Lopez Alt? Yeah. Okay. He's saying you should brine the turkey before you do the mayonnaise slathering? He's saying brine of the turkey is helpful. It will be tastier if you do a dry brine. Okay. Because the... All right. For a a couple of reasons. One is you don't have to have a big pot to put the turkey soaking in salt water. Okay. The other And the other reason is that uh, it will be a, a better flavor. Okay. But you do that before you do the spatchcocking and the slathering. Yes. Okay. Just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. I All suppose right. technically you could spat, you could, spatchcocking is just uh, butterfly and cutting the turkey but, up but so it can lie flat. Let me get, I, we're not going to go into detail here, but, but, but <laughs> when the fact that you're spatchcocking. Why not? Does that mean you're cooking different parts of the turkey differently or spatchcocking still you're doing no, the whole you, turkey? No, you cut it open. He's just cutting it open, butterflying it, flattening yeah. it out. Got it. Okay. When the turkey is in its normal turkey shape and it's in a roasting pan, the heat is not getting to all parts at, to right. the same extent. So the thighs cook much more slowly. And uh, then you have the dried out breast, which is cooking faster. And the thighs are hidden down in the bottom of the pan. still cooking the whole turkey at one time. Right. So you put it... He this puts, is like... He puts it on a rack. Yeah. Okay, it's flattened out, yeah. and there will be the heat will be circulating more evenly. So this is like chicken on a brick, or chicken under a brick. Same idea. There's no brick, Daniel. No, it's just it's, flattened but out. We have been at restaurants where they say chicken, brick, chicken. Same idea. They flatten it out. They spatchcock it. They put a brick on top of it. You've there's no it. brick. I understand. There's no brick because you can't because the turkey's too big. Okay, it's there's the same no brick. Principle. All right, it's not like here's t- the question. What you have traditionally put stuffing in the middle of the turkey. What do you do now? Hey, I'll tell you the answer to that in a minute. Go ahead. Okay? Not yet. Right. So anyway, I'm considering doing this. The reason you use mayonnaise, okay, instead of slathering it with butter. In case anyone asks, yeah. Is the butter just melts quickly and it's just going to slide off and be in the bottom of the pan. Right. Mayonnaise, because it's an emulsion with egg in it, is more stable Uh and will actually help to seal that yeah. um, okay. and moisture in and stay there and brown and be beautiful and give flavor. Okay. All right. So that so that's it. Dry brine. Yeah. Cut that baby up and slather on the herbal mayonnaise. Yeah. Are we at the stuffing point yet? No. Okay. Yeah. What? So, you know, uh, so, so that's what, you know, that's the latest turkey gossip. Right. Um, you know, we've been in all, uh, you know, there's a million ways to cook a turkey, right? The deep fry, yeah. the, the brine, it's a different fashion every year. We're just trying to keep it interesting because it's the same old food. Yeah. I mean, and, and people argue about that. Do you make, some, do you try to make things that are totally new, you know, and exciting? Or do you make the old favorites? Uh, I think, uh, 
our group is pretty traditional, but I do usually try a few By our things. Group, you mean Sadie? Yes, yes, they're pretty. Close. In general, I think people are looking for some of the, some of their favorites. So yeah. you know, and there are various ideas, various places, yeah. and in the New York Times, they also had an article about. Uh, Thanksgiving menu by machine. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Using AI, artificial intelligence, yeah. yeah, to using computers basically to write your menu, if not write the recipes. Right. And so this was an article by Priya Krishna and uh, I don't know how to say and Kade Kad Kade. Mets. Yeah, okay. And uh, they tried some recipes. They used um, a system called GPT-3. Yeah. To, they asked it to generate some, it's an open AI system, and uh, asked it to generate uh, a new and different uh, Thanksgiving menu based on their preferences, you know, and various factors. Right. And also acted, asked it to come up with recipes. Then they got a crew of people, experienced cooks, New York Times uh, experienced uh, cooks and writers, to make and taste the recipes. Yeah. And some of them were very bad and made no sense. Right. Okay. So um, AI has a little ways to go. The one recipe for... Um, something that was called, uh, there was a non-stuffing, okay? Mm -hmm. In other words, stuffing made with the, oh. the Indian bread naan right. that had 32 ingredients. Oh, God. And a bizarrely two cups of dried fruit. So it just seemed, uh, you know, it was weird. It was totally weird. Uh, so I think that the people, these were mostly people who, make a living writing recipes, they were a little relieved yeah. that uh, right now... AI doesn't do it? AI doesn't do it. I'm sure there's tweaking that will happen and uh, things will come up better. They also used a thing called D-A-L-L-E that generates images. Mm -hmm. And it generate, generated images of these things based on the recipes. Mm -hmm. And the generated images looked uh, nothing like the finished product when the people actually cooked the recipes. So uh, so that is that. All right, so we can't depend on AI. So what do you want to do? <laughs> Ask Ina. Yeah, okay. Okay, Ina Garden. Right. Uh, has put out, uh, you know, Ina says, uh, you know, when it comes to Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. all bets are off. You just do what you got to do to get the stuff on the table. Right. And some and you can take shortcuts. There's not a problem with taking some shortcuts for Thanksgiving. Um, and so she's come up with some recipes uh, to help us all out. Okay. Including um, Parmesan mashed potatoes, where she actually uses frozen mashed potatoes. And frozen add mashed frozen mashed potatoes. I've never heard of frozen mashed potatoes. Yeah, they're frozen mashed potatoes. She recommends Bob Evans. And you add parm yeah. and uh, some sour cream and stuff. You doctor it up. Yeah. And uh, she says it's quite tasty. She also has a um, pecan pie recipe 
where she says it's okay to use a frozen um, pie shell. And they they tend to be not as rich mm-hmm. as a as a nice homemade um, pie crust with lard, but yeah. uh, with lard uh, or butter or whatever. But um, because you know pecan pie can be so rich and so sweet, maybe it's better if it's a little dry. Uh, she also has a recipe for just adding fresh apple and orange to canned. Cranberry, whole cranberry sauce. You know, doctoring up the canned cranberry sauce to make it your own. Now, she drew the line at canned sweet potatoes. She said, uh, they're all bad. They all taste like the can. Um, So don't do that. Mm -hmm. All right. And one, ooh, she has a very, she says, uh, she prefers to make mushroom bread pudding as opposed to stuffing. You know, you know, you know how you make stuffing outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you make stuffing in just a casserole dish, it's never quite as good right. as stuffing that's cooked in the turkey. It's right. all those turkey juices. Right. But of course, people feel that's risky in terms of, you know, hygiene. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's not really hygiene. What would you call it? It's, it's just gastrointestinal distress. Okay, something like that. Yeah. Um, so she suggests, and she has a recipe for buying like um, you know pre-seasoned cubed stuffing mix and you toss in you know mushrooms onions gruyere mm. and uh, you you end up uh, with a delightful bread pudding i highly suspect this is one of those things you could do like the night before which mm-hmm. is also help. a lot of talk about uh what you can cook ahead of time well, for thanksgiving a, this year because we, we we've we all been freaking out about how you know getting everything Onto well, also the, the uh, idea is you want to be with, be with your guests. It's the idea. It's not just to be in the Yeah, kitchen. it's possible that Thanksgiving was invented so you didn't have to be with your I guests. I think in your case, that is the big allure. <laughs> but uh, other people want to be with so, their guests. So, you know, the thing is, I do like to cook. So yeah. you do want to try new and interesting things that require some cooking skills. But yeah. it might be good to factor in some cheating. Yeah. You know. Some cheating. You know. So some, that, che- uh, some cheating. Well... Yeah. Not that we've ever done too much cheating. Well, but, um, I never heard of frozen mash. But, you know, I, I'm familiar with potato buns. You know, you have somebody who drunk. makes the potatoes for you, so I'm sure there's <laughs> there's a woman who comes in there's a... <laughs> who makes the potatoes for me. I don't I don't know her, but I know she comes in. The New York Times also put out a big um, spread about pies to make this year. Oh, really? Okay. And. Uh, the pies, the New York Times pies are always too fancy for me. Mm. Not really looking for that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my friend Lisa yeah, Walsh is very excited. About? Well, they make seven pies for Thanksgiving. I think they have about seven people at their Thanksgiving. So um, they well, like a lot of pie. They stop by and their they like, the they, next day. They enjoy. They have fun is with trying these new crazy are recipes. Are they singling one out? Or well, yeah. It, it, it's very architectural. It's called uh, Pecan Sandy Pie, oh, mm. and it has these fancy shapes on it, mm. which I think get destroyed when you cut the pie, so I don't I don't totally get it. Sounds like a visual thing. It's very visual, and you know the Walshes, they're very visual. Yeah. So uh, I think, I think if you're looking pies? for a visual Happy delight, is, don't come to our house. Is, is Haley into that too? So the two of them? Yes. Like, yes. So it's, it's they go crazy. Lisa and Haley. Yeah, I, 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 I know, Kyle doesn't all, do it. No, I, Tom doesn't do it. 
No, I think there are a lot of people have their fingers in a lot of pies there. Oh, fingers in a lot of pies. Mm. So, uh, but I, I think uh, we're going to have a, a more simple tradition. Um, I handle the economics and you... I want to say this about Mohonk also. Yes, go ahead. The desserts, yeah, the dessert not menu. Not good. Strawberry rhubarb pie or crisp or something in, in November? In November? It's just shocking. It's shocking. This is upstate New York. They're famous for apples. Why don't you tell everybody when rhubarb's really in? and 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 what about you come rhubarb to the country? Is, is you a come spring, to the country. You, thing. you go to a country inn. Yeah. Expect apples. You expect at least a little pie, don't you? A little something comforting and old timey. Yeah. And again, we're, we're all about seasonal well, cooking this, this has in been, these uh, days. Informative. I, th- I think uh, I feel prepared now for Thanksgiving. I'm done. I'm going to go eat dinner. <laughs> Let me rush through the couple of things. You can I do had. the rest of your subjects well, that you're interested very in. Very quickly, there was an article called The Bike Thieves of Burlington, Burlington, Vermont, which is sometimes considered an idyllic, if not hippie like town in Vermont. It's where the University of Vermont is, where Bernie Sanders was the mayor. It has 45,000 residents. It turns out it is now the site of an alarming number of bike thefts. Bike thefts. The bike thievery has gotten so bad that the University of Vermont warned students returning to campus that since June, about 220 bikes valued at $267,000 have been stolen in and around the city in just a few months. So people go to college with $1,000 bikes? No, no, no. Nothing I said told you what people are going to college with. This was people. I said they told the students. They, they didn't say. I didn't say that it was student bikes that were that were stolen. They said in the town, okay. two hundred twenty. They said you're going to love Burlington. We have the highest rate of bike thefts. They're warning them. I don't know what people have, but it, apparently a lot of the world has bikes worth more than thousand dollars. I think you're going to have to live with that. I, I just don't even think that's true. You know. You know. What? Look, can I, can I make a point here? Because you've watched the Antiques Road. I don't even know five people can, who have thousand dollar bikes. Jump in here. What? Okay. You ever hear when in the Antiques Roadshow when someone has something and it's it's worth or it's not worth whatever it is, and they say it's worth $3,000, but for insurance purposes, it's $10,000? That's called made-up value, all right? That's what this is. It's made-up value. So the bikes probably aren't $1,000, but for your insurance purposes... Street, street value. Street value is <laughs> If you smoke them, yeah, they're worth more. But the point right. is, people are stealing bikes, and people have decent bikes right. in Burlington. They probably don't have cars. So, 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 so it's just a crazy stealing article. bikes forever. I no, mean, no, no. This in, is an alarming, alarming... NYU doesn't have to send that letter. Everybody knows if you come to New York, your bike's going to disappear. Yeah, but people know not, not to take the... Welcome bike. to the 21st okay. century, Vermont. So listen to this. What? So, so there's a group that was formed on Facebook called the BTV Stolen Bike Report and Recovery, right? And it soon attracted more than 2,000 members, which is equal to 4% of the city's entire population. So you had a, a group that's 4% of the city's population who was drawn in on the subject of bike theft. Obviously, these people who had lost their bikes. And what happened is group was formed, which would go out and look for stolen bikes, try to track down stolen bikes, which is so crazy. it's a vigilante bike sort of group. Now, they, of course, they went first to the police. Is that what the... Yeah. V stands for. I don't know what this no, is. I mean, number stand, letter yeah, stands for. Okay. But here, here's the thing. Okay. What? All right. 
the, the article says this is how these people were innocent. They, they just said, look, we, we, we're against the idea that people should have their bikes stolen. We're not taking a political position on anything. But we just are a group that uh, feels that we should be recovering bikes if they're stolen. And they actually cruise through town. And they're like a collected group. It was a photographer or whatever. They don't look, they look like it's some kind of fancy series on FX, you know, with, you know, Miss Marple and her friends looking for bicycles. It doesn't make any sense. They're not a tough group of people. But they're cruising along, look, their bikes looking for bikes. They have helmets with flashing lights. I think you meant to say they look like they're out of Masterpiece Theater. They're Masterpiece Theater, Miss Marple. There you go. Oh, FX has a lot of stuff. <laughs> My point is this it's nutty. So, but how did they get drawn into this? Now they're drawn into politics. Do they find Why? the bikes? Yes. They're they very good the at finding the bikes. Because it's easy. It's easy pickings. The bikes are all over the place. They just take them home. Nobody even bothers them. So. I mean, they went to the police first. They ran into a whole issue about the police saying, we can't fool around with this. We've been defunded. They defunded the police. In they don't Berlin have time to find... They don't have the resources to find the police. They bikes. have no resources. Apparently, if you okay. read this article, there are no policemen in, in Berlin. All right, so Vermont. get to the punchline. I, I think there have been several very good punchlines so far. Uh, and the punchline... So they, they finally said to themselves, this is so insane. What is going on? And they learned... As they got deeper into this, or they think they it's learned It's not this. a bike problem. It's, it's a, a drug, drug problem. problem. Exactly. They found next to one of these stolen bikes a bag full of a white crystal substance. Turns out it's crystal meth. And now the theory is that crystal meth has really become much more prevalent than in the past in Burlington. And there now is a tremendous increase of violent crimes, people getting shot. They never had that in Burlington before. Um they also say, and this is almost too on the nose, that one of the one of the effects of using crystal meth is that people seek adventure by doing things like guess what, stealing, stealing bikes, stealing bikes. <laughs> so I, I, we should laugh. I, I don't know. It the just thing, a, it's a there crazy are a lot of things you could steal. Yeah, that it's would exciting. seem like an adventure. You get to ride away with this, you know, and they don't even care that they stole it. They leave it out and someone takes it back. So anyway, weird article. Okay. I, one thing I should have mentioned to you as we go on, you know, we didn't talk about Kimberly Akimbo. Kimberly Akimbo is now on Broadway. We like Kimberly Akimbo. That's the one it's about a musical. Musical. About this woman who's, you know, a young girl, prematurely aging, ends up looking like she's 65 when she's 16. And it's it's kind of bizarre. It's offbeat. It's uh, cute, Starring Victoria sweet, Clark. Who's fantastic. She's in her 60s, right? And what we said to each Playing other... Playing a 15-year-old. Right. And what we said to each other when we saw it, this was great. I heard us going to Broadway. That can't possibly succeed. So, who knows? Our money's not invested But it got in a it. great review. Got a great review in the Times. But Jesse Green said three times during the review, you ought to see it because I don't know how long it's going to be open. <laughs> so... I don't know. I don't know. Somebody Kimberly Akimbo. Yes. I don't have... Uh, they must have some angel put them on. But, you know, if that becomes a big hit, if that's the next Lion King, shoot me. I mean, I'd be shocked. No, it was it was shockingly good. It, it wasn't shocking. It was good. It was sweet. That's the right... That's the word was everybody it, uses. I, I found it highly enjoyable. I was not interested in the subject matter. Yeah. No, no. It was... It was but it was... Small. You know, it's one of those things that surprises small. you. It's a small musical. So there was an article about Peter Asher... In particular, because there's a book about him, David Jackson written a biography called Peter Asher, Life and Music. And you say, who is Peter Asher? So Peter Asher is a guy still around, 78 years old, who was first a performer and then a sort of legendary music producer. And his story is just interesting to me because it's a combination of serendipity and skill and, you know, whatever, I don't know what qualities it takes to be a great producer. He... He gets into singing. He has a friend who's named Gordon Waller. 
and they form a group called Peter and Gordon, which I vaguely remember uh, in the late, I guess the middle 60s, early 60s even. And how did they get going? His sister, Jane Asher, is dating a guy who's named Paul McCartney. And uh, she says uh, he meets Paul McCartney, and Paul McCartney has a song that he was going to record with his group, whatever that group is called, maybe the Beatles. And But his, his friend, uh, John Lennon, uh, wasn't interested in called A World Without Love. So uh, Peter and Gordon record it, becomes a big worldwide hit. Peter Asher then says, you know, this is interesting. And he, he learns how to uh, produce music because that's part of what you have to do to get your album made. And he's much more interested in that than anything else. And he knows the Beatles now. So the Beatles tap him to become the head of their what's called A&R operations for the newly established Apple Records in 1968. And Asher wants to bring something to the table. And he says, you know, I found this American singer-songwriter who I think maybe should, we should record in London. What's his name? James Taylor. So now he's got James Taylor there using recording with uh, the Beatles company. He decides he wants that adventure. He goes back to the U.S. with James Taylor to try see how he's going to do there. Who does he meet? A woman named Linda Ronstadt. And he becomes her producer. And it's on and on and on and on. It's like all those stories you hear about where you feel that, you know, 50 years ago there were only 37 people right. who were yeah. famous. And he knows all of them. It goes... Mm-hmm. And they, they have testimonials from Steve Martin, from Reed Brickell, from Elton John, blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's obviously very talented. It's kind of an amazing, amazing story. So anyway, that's all I have to say on that. And finally, an obituary. We close an obituary. It's only Michael Basman. They call him the king of chess, who was known for an orthodox openings. Now, I don't think of you as a big chess player, but you play a little chess, you know a little chess, and you probably know. I don't play a little chess. I have played chess, well, perhaps I, 50 years ago. Fine. Well, that's enough That's enough for this. And you, and you saw the, uh, the chess I program. Watched, I watched the There's series. Queen, the yes. Queen, yes. I've seen other people play chess on TV. Right. Yeah, there you okay. go. Uh, the Queen's Gambit. So, as you recall, I'm sure that most people, almost everyone, starts a chess game by moving one of the pawns in the middle of the board forward. And mm-hmm. the person on the other side does the same. And they parrot moves for a couple of minutes or something like that. Well, that was a problem, according to Michael Bassman, who became a great chess champion. He decided that was a boring way to play. And he developed openings that were unorthodox. Like you went to the side of the board and moved a, a pawn there. And then he had, and that, would, that became known as the grob. The grob. It was a specific kind of opening that he used to great effect. And he had something that was a defense based on that, which was Grob spelled backward called the Borg. All this while he became a great champion. Yeah. And uh, look, my point is, I'll cut to the chase here. This guy achieved a lot of success and he had such a singular style that people who played his style, again, the man's name is Michael Basman, became known as Basmaniacs. There's a phrase in, in chess called Basmaniacs. People mm-hmm. who open on the side are Basmaniacs. And included in that group is Magnus Carlsen, who we mentioned a few weeks ago, who's the current world champion. He's a Basmaniac. So when was his heyday? This fellow? Yeah. Uh, he won the 1980 British Championship, yeah. which will give you some idea. And uh, they have you know, other tournaments in which he did quite well. Because he wasn't mentioned in the, in the Queen's Gambit. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Well, you know, there'll be a sequel. They'll get into it. I don't think she used anything that ambitious. Uh, you know, as maniacs. You'll be at Mohawk one day and uh, one puzzle weekend and you'll run into some Bas maniacs. I, you can count on it. They're not playing chess. Give them time. 
They're going to have to broaden their appeal right. unless the on service note, improves. All right. It's time to get a bite to eat. Yes. Yes. So let's do I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Samson Granger. And this is Dan Avuhoff. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Get well soon, Pep. Yes. Bye bye.